Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. How are you guys? This is totally random. I wish you lived in my brain. I'm trying to figure out the temperature. It's like spring, summer. Ladies, you freezing? Sal's like, it's great. I'm hot. Rummy's wearing a coat. I don't, I don't know what to do. So here, we've got like four thermostats. We're going to have a 75-degree section over here, and then we're going to have like a 62-degree section over here, and you guys can decide which one you want to get. Yeah, like in your car, you had the dual zone. Yeah. The lukewarm here, I, you better read about Laodicea. I'm not sure what's going to happen in this section right here. You may not want to be here, but at least we'll get a better camera angle. We won't get the back of people's heads. So that's, that's my goal in mind. So bear with us. Uh, we appreciate you. Church is fun, isn't it? So what is church? What is church? It's something I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And there's a couple of things when I'm thinking about, like people have all these ideas of what church is. Is it a building? If it is, we're in trouble because we've been in a few buildings since in the three years that we've been existing. And I love this building. Is it the people? Do people just make it? What is, what is this thing that we call church? Because I think in the era of COVID and the shutdowns and everything that we've been doing, people have really come to question, what exactly is church and do I even need it? Can I just watch on my computer? Can I just go pray? Can I go walk through nature and have that be my church? I have some friends that they always, they love running and training or mountain biking on Sundays and they call it dirt church. This is my dirt church. And I'm like, man, you, you have sold yourself short if you think that's church. But what is it? You'll read all the time, and this is an era of declining church attendance. The churches are dying. They're just, they're, they're not a you know, there's no one's coming to church, no one's giving, buildings are shutting down, and, and if, you, if you believe everything you'd read, you think that this is an era where the church is in trouble and really needs our help. And it's that picture of, we need your help, we need you to come. We, I think is where we sometimes get this idea of church as this weak, sickly, dying Thing that's just trying to hold on until Jesus comes back. But what church actually is, is quite different. I've even heard some people describe, I was reading an article yesterday, that church is dangerous. You know, you go to church, you could, you could get sick at that church that doesn't do all the things they're supposed to be doing and there's this fear that creeps in that even going to church can be dangerous. Well, what is it? So I want to talk about actually two different things that Jesus describes as what church actually is. You know, we, we, we've heard before that church is the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22, it says, And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills everything in every way. So whose body is the church? It's His. The church is His. It's His body. Do you see that? It's not my church. It's not even your church. 
It's His body. If there's one scripture that I have in my head every time I come to church, it's actually a phrase, His sheep, His pasture. That we are His sheep and it's His pasture. So if we keep that in mind, it'll help us really understand what church is. It's His body. And the Bible actually says that Jesus is the head and we are the body. Some are a foot, some are an arm, some are a leg, some are a toenail, I don't know. But if Jesus is the head, in the end, the rest of us, we're all just body. Not only just body as if it's nothing, I just mean I'm no more special than you are. Now, without getting into too much detail, there is the, the five-fold ministry of apostle, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor that have specific roles to train up people Uh, you to do the work of the ministry to get those gifts flowing in the church, but that doesn't make them any more special than anybody else. We're all just body. So there's no church of Clayton and Romy of which you all are attendants that kind of likes Jesus and invites him in every now and then. It's his body. We are his body. Okay. But the second thing is what I actually wanted to talk about this morning is the church's family. Church is family. Now, when I talk about family, there's a bit of a problem as a roadblock we run into. And that's that your family is probably not a lot like my family and probably not a lot like the family that's next to you, that's sitting next to you. We all have different ideas of what family is, and it's based upon the experience we've had with our earthly family. But God's family is not exactly like your earthly family. It might look very different to the family that you've grown up in. But God's intention for us is to be a part of His family. And I want to talk to you for a moment about what His family looks like. And I'm going to read to you from Ephesians again. Is that okay? Can you tell I've been in the book of Ephesians for a little while? I lead a Bible study Wednesday morning. Shameless plug. Um, You're all invited. We've been going through the book of Ephesians for about, oh gosh, six months now, I guess. I think we're in chapter six right now. It's at my dad's house. I love it. Every Wednesday morning, 7.30, we meet at my dad's house. It's awesome. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. I want you to see this. We are members of his household. That's God's choice. We are in his family. The Bible says that we're actually adopted into his family. We are all members of his household. So not only is he our father, but we also have brothers and sisters that live in the house as well. I think there's a million definitions of what family could look like today by the world's standards. I'm not trying to take the world's standards and apply it to the house of God. I'm trying to see what God's standard for family actually looks like. So here's the first way that we are part of a church family. We're family simply because we have the same dad. We have the same dad. The the, the Lord's Prayer that some of us have grown up with that Jesus taught His disciples, how does it begin? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you go up to the King James Version like I did. Can I get a shout out for King Jimmy? Our Father, 
Jesus said he didn't teach them to pray your father, his father, their father. It's our father. We are family. If for no other reason, then we have the same dad. That means we have his DNA flowing through us. I've got the same spiritual DNA that you have. Our father. Because he's our father, that makes us family. Whether you like it or you don't. But it means that we have a dad. We are not fatherless. We're not abandoned. God is not the benevolent overseer of a spiritual orphanage. He is a father. And he is really good at it. I mean really good at being a dad. So I don't have to worry about whether there's some hole in my life because I didn't have a great dad. I had a great dad. I'm benefit that I don't have to have God fill a void that I didn't have. I still have a great dad in my life. But even he can't be everything to me. When you become a dad, you realize that. Anybody become a dad and suddenly went, I wish I hadn't been so hard on my dad because I don't have a clue as to what I'm doing. Where's the manual? Some, where's the anointing that comes that all of a sudden you have all the answers? And I realize, I just pretend like I know the answers, and I bet he did too. Because dad knows everything, right? Until they become teenagers, and then they're like, uh, I'm not quite so sure about that. We have the same dad. and He's our father. That means anything that I lack from my earthly father, I can get from my heavenly father. You know, he describes himself as a father to the fatherless. Not only does that mean that if you didn't have a father, he'll be your dad, but it means anything that your earthly father lacked, and boy, do we all lack stuff. He meets that need in us. He's a perfect father. And in Romans 8, 15, it says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. It does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought out your adoption to sonship or daughterhood. That word means the same. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Some of you may know that word, Abba. It's, a, it's an Aramaic word. It means daddy. For Brent, it means papa. That the same way your grandchild looks at you is the way we're meant to look to our heavenly father. The spirit in us, the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us, cries out, daddy. Now, some of us grow up, not in my home, but some of you may have grown up where it's father, Anybody ever call their dad father and they had to call him father? I've got a friend of mine who makes his kids call him sir all the time. And he just if you do that, I'm, just, I'm not talking about you because that person isn't here. <laughs> but it's so stinking weird to me. I'm like, you're dad, not sir. You know what I mean? Like it's, is that in front of company and then behind the scenes or something, you know? But I want to make sure that my kids know me as dad, not know me as pastor. I want to make sure that my kids know they can come to me at any time for anything and I'll listen to them. And I want them to know me as Abba because that's what God, our Father, wants us to know Him as. We have the same dad. There's one more thing Jesus describes about what makes us family. And I think you'll find it in Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. We'll put it on the screens if you don't have your Bibles here this morning. Or if the internet's a little slow, trying to find it on your phone. 
Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. This is his earthly mothers and brothers, right? Mother and brothers. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he says, Who are my mothers? And who, I keep saying mothers. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. I'm going to switch. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at all those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Listen to this. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does God's will. What does it mean to do God's will? Let me put it simply. It has nothing to do with your performing for Him. Doing God's will is believing in and following Jesus. That's His will for you. To believe in Jesus and to follow Him. Faith in Jesus is your ticket out of the orphanage. It means you don't have to stay living in fear. You don't have to approach our Father as a slave, as a hireling, as an employee, as a servant, as a churchgoer, as a tither, as a a tender. We come to Him as a son. We come to Him as a daughter because of the blood of Jesus. And that spirit in us that cries, Daddy, is our ticket out of that orphanage. It's our ticket out of slavery by faith in Jesus. What makes us family is not that we think the same. What makes us family is not that we voted for the same person, because we all didn't. What makes us family is our faith in Jesus and the fact that we're following Him. I'm amazed that sometimes even in a church family, I've even seen this in a marriage. I've seen where one of the spouses all of a sudden makes this decision for Jesus and begins to pursue him with all of their heart. And the other spouse is like, yeah, I don't think so. And it drives a rift between them. And what drove the rift is that one of them is pursuing God and one of them is not. And then the one who is not feels intimidated by the one who is. And the marriage begins to drift apart. The saddest part about that that I've seen is when the one that pursues God leaves the pursuit and goes back into the world to please the spouse. Look, that's never an easy decision, right? And I'm not saying when you get saved, leave your spouse. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that sometimes it happens in a marriage Sometimes it happens in friendships where all of a sudden you're going to begin pursuing God with all of your heart. And your friends are not willing to go on the same pursuit, even if they're Christians themselves. And all the pressure in the world is to think, well, who are you to think you should be blah, 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 blah. I actually met a guy yesterday, an old police officer, who was like, it's like, oh, you know, Brent, everybody knows Brett Montella. He's a former police officer. Well, I'll tell that guy he better be a better pastor than he was a police officer. Right? You know what I mean? They're just rubbing, they're just ribbing each other. Do you know what I mean? How we do, guys? And uh, I don't know why I just told you that in front of everybody else. <laughs> but I know that it was just a way of just making fun, right? But I thought, you had no idea 
where this man has come. You have no idea what he stepped into. And if you met him now, you would want what he has. Don't let the pull of those who refuse to follow Jesus with the passion that you have pull you back to where they are. You follow him with everything that's in you. You pursue him with everything that's in you. You will not be left alone. What you'll find often in the family of God is that when you make a decision to pursue Jesus at any cost, you will find people who are on a very similar pursuit. And honestly, sometimes you'll leave people who don't. I don't want to leave anybody behind. I'm not trying to just cut everybody off. But I do know that when I am pursuing God with everything that's in me, when I am willing to let the Holy Spirit reveal to me any of my heart, area of my heart that I need to surrender to Him, if I'm around people that aren't doing that all of the time, it's going to be uncomfortable for them, but not for me. But I'm not backing down. I'm not preaching fire and brimstone to them. I'm not forcing them to go where I'm going. I'm not holier than them. I'm not better than them. But I can't go back. I can't go back. I'm not going back to the orphanage. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to fail to pursue what God has for me. The family of God are those who believe and follow Jesus. Belief and following go hand in hand. Because belief in Jesus doesn't mean I raised my hand and prayed a prayer on Sunday. It means that I've chosen to put all of my life in His hands. And I'm following Him. He is guiding me through my whole life. I'm endeavoring to become all that He has created me to be. Does that make sense? You'll find that's what makes us family. What makes us family is our adoption and following Jesus together. It's following Him together. Do you want some good news? Our family, we don't look alike. There's no racial distinction. There's no color you have to be or color you can't be. There's no political leanings that you have to have to be a part of this family. If you love Jesus and if you follow Him, we're a part of this family. And I know this may surprise some people, but Jesus didn't just pick Americans to be in His family. This is a worldwide thing. Do you want some great news? I talked to Paul this morning, our pastor that's in Turkey. We're planning a church in Turkey. He called this morning and said that he's got his first person that he's led to Jesus in Turkey this week. Happened yesterday. Praise God. That's a guy that was a Muslim that has now made a decision to come into the family of God. I've never met this guy. I will at some point, but he's part of the family. He's part of the family. The family's growing. It's getting bigger. I, again, we told Paul, hey, one year of learning language, learning culture. He's like, yeah, got it. Language, not going so great, but we led somebody to Jesus already. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that's fine. God's going, so you want me to not lead people to do No, that go and do that. Sorry, God. I'm just saying managing expectations, that's all I'm doing. And God's doing something already. I, I, I want you to hear that you are a needed part of this body. You're needed. 
We need you in the family. And the family, the family needs you, but you need the family. No one's exempt from this need. Nobody. The brand, that guy in Turkey right now that just got saved, he needs a church family to come into. He needs it, but I need it just as much as he did. Whether you're a new Christian, whether you're the pastor of a church, whether you're the leader of a movement, movement, you need a church family just as much as anybody else does. I need you in my life as much as you need me. I do. You may not need me in your life, but I need you. So I'll be the needy one in the relationship. I'm okay with that. I'm used to that. I'm good. You know, we were at lunch yesterday with uh, little Charlie and Foster. And we were, uh, I guess they wanted to pray the blessing over the food. And little Charlie just sits there and grabs my hand. And she goes, Jesus, I thank you for my church family. Had nothing to do with the food. But I just wonder if that little girl's got a revelation of what our church family is. I'm not talking about our seashore church family. That's pretty great. I'm talking about our kingdom church family, the body of Christ, his church, his sheep that are in his pasture. I need my church family just as much as that little girl. I'm telling you, I really do. Everybody needs a family. The Bible describes our church family. I already said that he's a father to the fatherless. It's a place for the lonely. The Bible says he sets the lonely in families. It's a place where those who feel like they have no family can come belong to a family. They don't belong because they attend. They belong because they've been adopted. And they belong because they have faith in and follow Jesus. But he sets the lonely in families. God has a family picked out for you. I hope it's here, but if it's not, you're still a part of the kingdom of God and a part of his family. This family provides for a covering for widows and orphans and for single moms that you can come into the family of God and no longer be husbandless, no longer be wifeless, no longer be childless. We are brothers and sisters. There's aunts, there's uncles, there's grannies, there's grandpas or nanas or papas or omas, whatever you call yourself. There's a big family here. It's the third strand in your marriage that there's Jesus, you, and your spouse. That happens as being a part of a family. It's a place to find pardon, peace, purpose, and power. It's a lot of peas. I love that there's power in this family. You've seen it demonstrated here this morning. There's power for healing. There's power for salvation. There's power to be delivered from the zombies that are leaving. There's power for all of that stuff. And it's in the family. But what the enemy does, and I found this, I've noticed this in my own life. The devil doesn't really come to us and offer us the opposite of what God does. Like the devil, if, if God's saying, you need to be adopted, you need to be a part of my family, the devil goes, no, you don't be alone. That's not really the way he works. He goes, yeah, you heard that, but I got something that'll work even better. And he often offers an alternative for what God has for us rather than the opposite. Because I think if he came to the opposite... We go, oh, that's the devil, get away from me. But he gives us something that sounds a little bit like what God's talking about, but it's completely different because it's not a full obedience that's required to follow it. So I think the enemy offers to us pseudo-families, fake families, alternative families. Your friends at the bar. 
There's a bar down the street from my house. It's packed every night. And people are on Facebook going to the bar. Nothing wrong with that, I guess, but it's a pseudo-family. Because the thing that's brought you together doesn't actually sustain you. Can I tell you, online church is a great other thing to have, but it's not family. I can't be a part of a family just by watching my computer screen. I thank God that churches are putting stuff out as a maybe an evangelistic tool to reach more people. But if that is in place of gathering, I think you're missing the point. I don't have an online family. I have a church family. And I thank God for it. These are alternatives the enemy will offer. I'm not saying online church is demonic. I'm saying if that is my only choice for church, then I've settled for an alternative when God has something more for me. (laughs) Here's another one. This might strike some chords. Social media echo chambers. Do you know what those are? Where when I say something, all of my social media feed are people that think the same way I do. And I love it when somebody, I love this. I probably shouldn't, but I do. I love it when somebody puts an offense on Facebook, something they got offended by. And then everybody else is like, yes, they're terrible. You should, they should have never done that to you. You're a beautiful person. We love you. And it's like, I just want to go, no, you're being an idiot. I wouldn't say that in Jesus' name and love, but I'm like, no, actually you were wrong and you were rude and you shouldn't have done that to that. You never see that because social media can be an echo chamber. And we think that that's family. We think that everyone's agreeing with us, but they're only agreeing with us online. It's it's pseudo. It's not not real. Does that make sense? I don't want to think that all of my Facebook friends are my family. Sports teams, fake families, and I love sports. By the way, Julia, she's out doing kids, isn't she? Their daughter, Julia, is in, uh, I don't know why I didn't think about this earlier. Her field hockey team, is it Kellum? The Kellum field hockey team is in the state semifinals on Tuesday, which is pretty cool. Their daughter, she's out doing kids right now. And if they win, they go to states on Saturday, I believe. So we got to pray for Julia and the Kellum. I don't know what Kimsville's doing. That's the only thing I really care about because that's my alma mater. I think they've won one football game in the last 15 years. But we got to pray, pray for them, pray for Julia. Um, but sports teams can become like this, this pseudo-fake family thing. They're great, but don't think that that can replace your church family. That's my point that I'm trying to make. Do you know that I have, I, I've, I've counseled a few people that have sort of slipped into the homosexual lifestyle, the whole gay scene, and this is coming from them of what they've told me is, this was not a sexual thing for me. It kind of became that, but I was drawn in because of my need for family. They didn't have a family. And that culture pulls so strongly. Come be a part of us. We will love you. We will, we will give you everything that you've needed. And then they kind of got entrapped and enslaved in a culture that they really weren't sure about at first. And now they can't see a way out. But it didn't become because of a sexual desire. It became from a need for family. My hope and prayer is that we don't settle for a counterfeit. I want the real deal. This has kind of become very uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Apparent to me over the last couple of weeks. We had uh, an old friend of mine came to church on Easter Sunday. She walked in the door and hadn't seen her in years, been out of church for years. Just hurt by church, disillusioned, whatever you want to call it, but just been kind of away from God and away from church. And she sat with some other friends of mine, and she leaned over to him, having not been in church for a long time, and said, I found my church family. This is my home. Now, why did she say that? It's because she experienced the presence of God in a way that there's something, there's this God deposit in her, which is the Holy Spirit, that rose up and said, hey, this is that. They're on the same path. They love me too. And you can pursue me with them together. And so I know that day she made a decision. I want to make this my family. Not just attend to church, but there was this leap in her heart. You know, when Jesus and John the Baptist were in their mother's womb, when the mothers would come together, John the Baptist would leap in the mother's womb because there's this thing about being around family that just goes, ah. Ah, you can go to a country where they don't even speak the same language, and there's like a, there's this, oh, it's family. Well, that girl passed away Tuesday after that Sunday morning through just like suddenly, wasn't sick on Sunday, then passed away that Tuesday. I had another friend that came last week, sat right there where my son's sitting right now, been out of church for 10 years. Love God, but had no family. Sat in that chair and went, I found my family. This is my home. He died yesterday. Suddenly. And so me as a pastor is going, God, what's going on here? Are we the death church? <laughs> and he said, no. Nope. We're the family. Their family, they were family here, and now they're family here. And you'll see them again. You'll see both of them again. And I just wanted to give them a taste of what they were about to step into. You know, our, our church slogan, motto, I don't know what it is, is more of heaven. It's because heaven's not just where you go when you die. Heaven's here now. Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we decide to become a part of the family of God, we bring heaven to earth now. And it doesn't come because you signed a commitment letter or you did whatever it was to join a particular organization. It's because you said, I'm going to receive the adoption as your son, as your daughter. Jesus, I believe in you, and I want to follow you with all of my heart. And in 1 Timothy 3.15, it says, the family of God is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And as we close this morning, I really just felt compelled to give you the opportunity.
to join the family. Just because you're sitting here doesn't mean you're in the family. My house, I got 15 kids in my yard every single day. It's okay because when I come home with mulch, I've got free labor. (laughs) I feed you, you move mulch. That's the way it works in my yard, right? But just because they're in my yard doesn't mean they're part of the family. They're welcome in my house. Anytime. I'll feed them. I'll put band-aids on them when they skin their knees. But that doesn't mean they're part of the family. Just because you're in a church doesn't mean that you're part of the family of God. Just because you help. You're a part when you choose to receive the adoption as a son and as a daughter. When you yourself have made a decision to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, to receive forgiveness from your sins, and to choose to follow Him. And so I want to invite you to be part of the family. Not just a friend of the family, I want to invite you to be part of the family. And so if that's you this morning, you can do that by just a decision of your own heart to ask Jesus in and to follow Him. And you can express that decision in your heart by prayer. Prayer is just talking to God, okay? And so I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me that reflects that decision that you've made in your heart. And we can pray this together. But make it your prayer to Him, okay? Don't repeat my words, but if this is the desire of your heart, make it your prayer. Jesus, I need you. I receive your adoption. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. I believe in you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. That you died on the cross for my sin. And I receive your forgiveness. I confess all my sin to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for making me part of the family. I choose to follow you. I don't have all the answers, but I will follow you. I will trust you, I will love you, and I will believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Can I encourage you, if you made that decision for the first time, or maybe you feel like you've been away from God for a while, tell somebody. Find another Christian here today and just say, hey, I actually prayed that with me. It can make a big difference. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.